still doesn't know his mother is dead. To which I put the note of like, do the Abbey dwellers really think this is a kindness to the kid? It's been a whole day and he's been kept away from his mom. He's a baby, but like, this isn't a mercy. Like, he might not understand death, but like, stringing him along like, oh, don't worry about your mom. Don't worry about your mom. Like, this seems cruel to me. Like, how are you going to explain to this kid that you're, like, you're not going to see your mother again? You're just going to have to accept that she is gone. It's upsetting. What'd you say? Matthias, I said it's upsetting. Matthias, Basil, and Warbeak return, drenched and dispirited. The rain has washed away all traces and confounds any attempts to go out to search. Warbeak swears her scouts will find them. Basil laments that there's not much they can do, being at sixes and sevens. Matthias says, tracking or no, they have to try. The abbot decides they will bury their dead and think hard while doing it. I find this interesting how often it is used in fantasy settings like this, where like the group has been beaten down, they're at a very low point, um, things are bad, someone has died, and so... They stop to bury the dead, and while they are burying the dead, they think over what to do next. They are quite literally grounding themselves by doing this. And, like, I could think of at least two or three instances in other books that I've read that I enjoyed where the characters did this. Where someone has died, either protecting them or was a part of their group, and now they need a moment to just get them in the ground and get their brain reset. Mm Mm-hmm. It's something that needs done. It's part of coping. Do what needs done. Go Mm -hmm. from there. It's honestly like, I mean, when I've had family die, like that's how it's worked. Not as traumatic an experience as this is. No, but but yeah. Yeah. Ambrose Spike and Cornflower keep baby Rolo with them as the two dead Redwallers are laid to rest that evening. They all pass the graves ignoring the never-ending rain. Little gifts are laid in the graves with a fallen pair, and the graves are marked with sapling weeping willows. And Matthias, in full armor, and the abbot say the prayer for past friends. It's a very well-written, very sad scene. It's very, very somber. That night at dinner, few want to eat, but Matthias encourages them, saying, rain or no rain, Tomorrow he would pick a rescue party and strike north to find the lost children. And speaking of the stolen children, we find them marching miserably through the rain. Life is terrible. Tess trips... Yeah, life is terrible. Tess trips and falls and is only saved uh, from a lash by Maddie. Ama teaches them how to hold the chains, not too tight, but with enough slack so they can walk. And Maddie is impatient with Cynthia, who has been whining about how unfair it all is and fussing over her muddy habit. He snaps at her to hush and is scolded by Tess. And he says, You put a typo here. I did? I'm sorry. You forgot. You put he instead of she. I think you just missed the S. That's good. She says that he should be more like his father. And when he challenges her as to why, she explains. Because of who his father is, weaker creatures will look to him for support. And yes, Cynthia is spoiled, and somewhat silly. She doesn't know the danger she's in. It gives him no right to snap at her. And this is where we're like, this is this is the thing that no one has ever mm-hmm. explained to him. Like, Tess manages to put it into words. She finally is able to explain to him in words that he can understand. This is what your father does. This is why he's important. And people are going to expect that of you because you are strong, because you were raised how you were, you know, like you need to be there for creatures who are weaker and less than you or not less than you, but just raised differently. Yeah. Before he can retort, Vich strolls up. He gloats, laying the blame for their kidnapping on Matt the Brat saying how Slagger would never have chanced the Abbey if not for his deep desire to steal the son of the great warrior. And Tim ducks under a whippy aspen branch and lets it go at the right time to <laughs> knock Vinch on his That's ass. very good. Enraged, 
Vich sneeringly tells him how Friar Hugo, Letty, and as far as he knows, Tim's father, John, is dead. Regardless of the chains, Tim launches himself at Vich and bites clean through his ear, saying he'll kill Vich for lying. And then Kit... <laughs> the amount of times Kit put Vich yeah. in just that bit. Kit was like, I can't tell you how many times I've nearly called him bitch. And then me, being a meme, was like, Maddie, hey, hey, look at me. Vich. Maddie, bitch. Maddie, bitch. Vich blocks him. Maddie, hey, unblock me real quick. I gotta tell you something. Vich unblocks Maddie. Bitch! And then I wrote beneath that, thanks for making me choke on a chip. Because <laughs> I was I was eating my after work snack, like watching squirrels write these notes. And then like that's because I'm just like going, hurt, choking on a chip. Like, oh no. Help, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm very funny. The other slavers come along to stop the fight, and despite the other young ones jumping in to help, even Cynthia getting in a few nips, they are beaten back. Slagger blames Maddie for starting it and promises to punish him like he's never known. Vich tries to point out Tim, but has his paws soundly whacked by Slagger's cane and is ordered to stop sniveling or he'll be chained up with the rest. Their march is miserable and wet. They catch odd jogging naps aided by their fellows to not fall over. Slagger pushes them hard, wanting to get as far as possible as soon as possible. By dawn, though, even Slagger needs to rest. The captives are tied between a beech and an oak, given some edible roots, and left to sleep half-sheltered from the rain. They're not given water, because there's water fucking everywhere. Yeah. Water, water everywhere. All... Yeah. All except Maddie who is taken from the line to meet Slagger privately. The fox has a story to tell him. And then it cuts back to Redwall. I do want to say they do figure out they're going yeah, south. Because, um, oh. Sam is like, we're going yeah. south. Didn't I put that, didn't I write that down in there? Oh, I'm I sorry. Know. I actually don't know when that okay, happens. Okay, yeah. So. I think that happens a little later when they meet up with, um, like right before they pick up Jube, I think. Um, but yes. Yeah, that's fair. All right, the adults at Redwall strike out uh, that same dawn to look for their children to the north. With the rain and the slow pace, it has a somewhat hopeless feel to it. Uh, Basil has a moment where his gluttony is used as a punchline because he has a feedback. Yeah, literally, he's got a feedback around his neck. And it's just like, this feels bad. It feels out of place. Like, I understand what Brian's trying to do. He's trying to keep it from getting too heavy. But with everything that's happened, it's like, it needs to be heavy. It does. At noon, they stop for lunch, thoroughly gloomy. Basil tries to give them a pep talk and, by some miracle, finds a very painful clue with his paw because he jumps up and lands hard on the ground and gets a big old splinter in his foot. And it's a big splinter from the slaver's wagon. Basil does have a moment where he's like, oh, it's a whole tree trunk. It's a spear. It's a shaft. It's, 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 it's clearly must be a weapon left behind. And everyone's just not having a shit. No. They're just like, no, no, it's just a sliver. <laughs> Thanks to Basil's splinter, they start spotting other clues. Red and yellow bit of cloth, broken branches and scraped bark, axle grease in the grass. They decide to go it alone because they told everybody to like keep going yeah. while they like, oh, helped also, Basil did... get the splinter out of yeah, his Yeah, you did skip a part though because Matthias pulls him aside and asks Jess to aid him in pulling the splinter out. So it's Matthias, Jess, and Basil who stay behind. Ah, I That's okay. That's, that. why, that's why I'm here. That's why I said, hey. Yeah. Teamwork! But yeah. Um, Wee! <laughs> so they decide to go it alone since the others are already like too far off uh, and they just slow them down. They leave a note for uh, Mrs. Churchmouse and the trio strike out into the woods after the trail. Now we're back with Slagger. In Slagger's tent, he reveals why he wears a mask. I just want to read this part. It's, because it it's is good. very good. Also, the uh, warning for the body horror, this is where that is going to jump in very hard, very fast. The scarring. Yes. yes. So heads up for those who can't handle that kind of description. Yep. Matameo sat in frightened silence as Slagger undid the drawstring of his silk-patterned harlequin head cover. Watch, little one. Before I begin my story, you must see this. With a flick of his paw, the fox whipped off the hood. The young mouse swallowed hard. It was the most horrifying sight he had ever witnessed. 
Slagger's head was that of a normal fox on the left side. His right side was hideous. Only the eye was alive and unwinking in the dead half of the sly one's face. The rest was scabrous, furless fresh. Flesh. It's not by my hand. I was once again given flesh. I'm gonna fucking flesh. <laughs> it's very satisfying to say. Say it. Just flesh. Flesh. <laughs> the rest was, the rest was scabrous, furless flesh, with the side of the mouth twisted upward into a fiendish grin. Greenish gums and yellowed teeth hung out of the frozen jaw, and the skin beneath. Uh, and the skin beneath showed a mottled black and purple, hanging in folds, loose and lifeless. Matameo was revolted, but he could not tear his eyes away from the awful sight. Slagger laughed, a short, breathless cackle which trickled damply from the dreadful mouth. Look at me. Aren't I a pretty one? And we get... We start moving into... Slagger's version of what happened. It's really fun hearing it, like how his brain has twisted these events to make him the victim. And I enjoy, like, I enjoy this because first we get his events and like shortly after we get to hear Sam's story. Like he tells, we get to hear the actual truth of what happened, which is Sam's side. So I just, I really enjoy this. Yeah. So, Matameo's stomach heaved queasily. How did that happen? He gasped. Slagger hid the injured side of his face by holding the silken hood to it. A long, long time ago. Or that's what it seems like. Anyhow, it was before you were born. I was a wandering healer fox. Me and my mother, Sela the Vixen, knew many secrets of healing arts and the herbs, nostrums, potions, and remedies of the forest. Eight seasons ago, your Redwall creatures fought a great war with the rats from the north. It was woodlanders who betrayed my mother to the rats. They speared her and she was left to die in a ditch. I was wounded and captured by those at Redwall. They held me prisoner in a room called the infirmary. Oh, they said it was only until I got well, but I knew better. A prisoner is a prisoner, no matter what they call the place where they keep him from his freedom and deny him liberty. So one afternoon, while your father's precious creatures were about their business, I escaped. Haha, <laughs> no creature can keep me locked up for long, he continued. As payment for my troubles, I took some baubles from Redwall with me. Silly little things, bits and pieces. As I ran from the abbey, I was stopped by some silly old mouse, some buffer called Methuselah. So I killed him. It was no great fight. His head cracked the wall, and that was that. I was forced to flee for my life that great badger and a horde of woodlanders behind me. Deep into moss flower I ran. I knew it well in those days. There was a hiding place, a small cave beneath the stump of a tree, and I hid there. If I had not been forced into hiding, I would have escaped unharmed. Anyhow, there I was, hiding while half of that stupid redwall creatures crashed around moss flower trying to find me. I did not know that there was another creature in the darkness of that little cave with me, but there was. It was a serpent, a huge adder. I must have touched it in the darkness because it struck and sank its fangs in me. Right here. Slagger pointed to his disfigured face just under the jaw. Any other creature would have been instantly slain, he boasted. Not me, though. I must have lost consciousness because when I awoke, it had dragged me through the forest to its lair. That's a damn strong snake. I was in burning... (laughs) It's very strong snake. Asmodeus was huge! Dragon. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. Yeah. I was in burning agony, deep, paralyzing pain. Somewhere near me, I could hear the snake sleeping. Silently, I dragged myself away from the terrible snake's lair and out of that place of death. I hid out in Mossflower for two seasons. All the autumn and winter, I lay in a den, treating myself with every herb, root, cure, poultice, medicine, and nostrum I knew. Sometimes the pain was so great that I thought I must surely die, but I kept myself alive with the secret remedies known only to healer foxes. Magic passed on to me by my mother, combined with the thought that one day I would grow well and strong enough to take my revenge upon Redwall. Kept me alive better than herbs. I stayed alive to wreak vengeance upon those who caused this injury to me, to make them weep bitter tears for my pain. 
It's all a very good paragraph. Like, the, the whole sequence is very nicely it's such done. such a good thing. Yeah. And just... I, I like how he handles the writing. How he handles, like, finally giving us why Slagar is like this. Um, yeah. And... Like, Maddie's reaction, too, is really good. Like, he accuses him of lying. Like, after Slagger puts the hood back on, Maddie says that he's lying. Redwall doesn't take prisoners. The infirmary is for sick creatures. And what is his father to do with this? And Slagger kicks him and tells him his father is the symbol of Redwall. So a wound to his soul is a wound to all of Redwall. And he's right. The order... Yeah, he is absolutely correct. He orders Maddie to be taken back to the other slaves and to tell Sam he has spoken to the son of Sella. With Maddie back in line, he tells them what Slagger said, and Sam puts the story to rights. He is old enough to remember what happened, and he does say that Tim and Tess were just a bit too young. This, yeah. He knows it's Chicken Hound now, or was Chicken Hound, and Maddie laments that it is a pity the snake didn't kill him. Now he's sly and mad. Here's some Sanism. They're told to sleep, and the conversation ends there. This is like a, and they all do their yeah, best. This to is get a some really sleep. strong moment for like. This is when a book being a sequel is a very good thing, because now we've got these characters who are like connecting dots to what happened in the past. The past is still so extremely relevant to everything in the story. Yeah. God, it is the direct cause yeah, for the story. Exactly honestly. So. Come mid-afternoon, the adult trio is still hot on the false trail. But Basil is catching on that something's not right here. There's not enough tracks. This is a slave cart. There should be more. And Matthias agrees. Jess appears, warning them to be quiet. She spotted the cart, and there's no sign of their children. They see the cart, and it appears to be abandoned. Until the tarp covering it moves. The three position themselves for a fight and charge the cart only to halt their charge, finding a fat, plump little otter shouting apologies. He tries to flee, but Jess catches him. Now, here's the thing. This moment is actually, Matthias hits a it's metal rail funny. on the cart, and it sends his paws, like, completely, like, it's, it's, See, it hurts this, to do This that. is where the comedic timing is much better, because after Slagar's story, this is a good respite. Like, this is a good calm down, have a good chuckle, and move on with the story moment. It's like, I love the image of him, like, shaking his hands because I've gone numb from hitting the, the iron so hard. Yeah. It's like, at the last moment, Matthias swung the sword away. It struck the iron seat bar, sending sparks showering as a fat little otter lay in the cart, with his bottom in the air and his head covered by both I completely paws. forgot about Cheek, too. Like, like it's like, <laughs> there's so many elements of this book I forgot that once I read them, it's like, Oh, yeah. And it's like unlocking memories slowly of like, oh, yeah. And then this happens, you know. I remember nothing. <laughs> like absolutely fucking nothing about it's like, this. Book. Like squirrels and I have swapped positions. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Strike me, Rudder. I didn't steal your rotten old cart. I only wanted to play on it. Shiver me mass. Say it messed it up or broke nothing on me. Affidavit, I have it. I put, I put in the notes. Shouted in a continuous I put in the notes. There's your there's word. There's my word. Affidavit. <laughs> uh, so he tries to flee, but Jess catches him. Basil tries to be intimidating, accusing the young otter of being a pirate. But nonplussed, the otter tickles Jess to be let go and calls Basil odd but well spoken. And this is the thing that kind of had me puzzled a little bit. Do we ever actually see any otter pirates ever? Okay. Yes. Like, but like evil pirates, like, though, I'm pretty is the thing. Sure. It's like, because well, like, even so. if they're pirates, they're like, we're like the Robin Hood pirates or just the kind of pirates who like to just. Yeah, I don't think we see evil otter yeah. pirates. Okay, thank you for confirming. Yeah. Um,. In a snit now, Basil stalks off to pout. <laughs> he makes a comment like, shouldn't be surprised if his mother's tattooed and chews shrimp a lot. And I'm like, like Basil, what? what is, what's your problem? Sir, what? It just, again, like. Your classism the, is the, showing. The, the older he gets, the less enjoyable Basil is. Like, the more of his, like, uh, upper class Britishness, question mark. 
mil- yeah, military-esque Britishness starts to come out in force. Classism. Classism, yes, thank you. Matthias tells the otter to join him in a dry spot under the cart and explain to them what he'd been doing there. The young otter does so gladly, revealing his name is Cheek. He was only playing in the cart, but when asked if he saw anyone else, he tells Matthias of the two weasels he'd seen in the cart. Uh, he, Basil and Jess join them under the cart, and Cheek asks their names, sassing Basil and calling Jess a mouse with the brush. To which I cut the nose. Get like, his ass, Cheek. <laughs> uh, like he, what does he call them specifically? Let's it's, see. it's uh so basil introduces himself and he says barrel stick chair silly name who's the mouse with the bu- brush on her tail my name is jess squirrel i'm fine uh, how do you do i'm fine jeff how are you <laughs> he's being yeah, cheeky he's living up to his name <laughs> he's cheeky before jess can go full mother on him matthias uses food to bribe the information out of cheek he tells them of the weasels abandoning the cart to go join Slagger, and after saying Basil and Jess's names properly, is finally allowed to have food. He stuffs himself, and when Basil tries to shoo him back to his mother, reveals he's an orphan. He wants to go with them, and after a further round of uh, further round of sassing, they all agree to cha- uh, take Cheek with them. He's a witty little guy. The rain finally stops, and the four strike out after the weasels. This was the page I found the fucking video <laughs> card on. <laughs> Mrs. Churchmouse returns to the Abbey, passing the news of the trio finding the cart's trail to Constance. Basically, uh, they wrote a note in charcoal on Basil's feedback. Which I guess at least the feedback's existence has been justified in the story this way. So yes, it is. Whee. It's like, all right, I still don't like the joke, but it is slightly redeemed because he turned it around to be plot relevant. Like Brian is actually yeah. good at that. Like. I'll complain about an element that I don't like, but then, like, at, like a chapter or two later, it'll be like, okay, he actually did use that for something, so I won't rescind. But it's still, like, a yeah, dumb like, thing. I won't rescind my words, but I will acknowledge that, okay, that was pretty, pretty fun. Okay, fine. Grumble, grumble, yeah. grumble. So, Constance consoles her, agreeing they'd all like to help, but out of them all, those three have the best chance of finding mm-hmm. their children. It's better to do what they can at the Abbey in the meanwhile. Constance talks to the abbot, both thinking it odd the slavers went north, then east. They figure out it's most likely a false trail too, but what can they do? The abbot says, dream. Dream and think of the children and the slavers. In the morning, they'd swap stories of what they dreamed and see if they dreamt anything useful. And like, he's right. He is, yeah. He's dead right, <laughs> yeah. Because Martin is just like, hello, I am here to invade your dream state. I'm going to pull some Arthurian bullshit now. Oh. He who? <laughs> he who? He he who who? The rain clears out, leaving the captive kids to run through a warm, hot day. It's gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. Their, their habits are still, like, wet, but now they're, like, soggy Which, and like, warm, and it's yeah. bad. Like wet, wet clothes on like a hot day or just, if it's not like swimsuit or like a t-shirt material, like the, yeah, the only, the only two acceptable wet cloth, cloth, clothing feelings on a hot day are again, t-shirt and swimsuit (laughs) because those actually help you keep cool. Whereas everything else just clings to you. Yeah. So they catch water where they can and manage to find like cloud berries as they're going. Alma admits to being completely lost. She has no idea where they are. And Tim tells her uh, they're going south. He recognizes things his parents taught him to look out for if he ever got I lost. I really like this. Uh, yeah. Like, if he ever got lost in the woods and his parents taught him, like, hey, these are the things to look for so you know I how to get back. I will say, though, that the, uh, the moss thing has been debunked. Moss grows wherever it very yeah, that's well not wants true. to grow. But, but some of the other yeah. stuff he points out, like looking at his surroundings... Yep is very good advice. Looking at, like, the the consistency mm-hmm. of the soil, stuff like that. So, Maddie encourages them to look for a chance to escape. As tired as they are, the slavers have to be tired, too. Cynthia whines that she doesn't want to be left behind, 
and then when assured they'd take her, she says she doesn't want to escape since Slagger would surely kill her. Um, this is where, like, Kit was like, I wonder why Brian felt the need to make a character like her. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's babier than everybody else by yeah, at least a little bit. Yeah, because, again, it, it feels a little odd. The way that she, yeah, the way that she acts sounds yeah. baby. Like, she's younger. So she's just like, I don't understand what's happening. For me, it's like more like you picked up on her being baby. For me, I was picking up on thinking that she was just spoiled, like... That and Brian repeatedly throughout the books, this is another thing I remember from like reading the series, voles are notoriously notorious for being stupid and spoiled. Through yes. almost all of his books, if there is a vole character, they are either one of two things. They are nasty, mean little critters, or they are spoiled little brats. Which kind of plays into like voles being one of the most voracious creatures on Earth and quite frankly are terrifying the more you learn about them. But... Yeah, honestly, I'd be hey, wait, more scared did, of like a mole than I would be a rat if it was the same size. Uh, yeah. Didn't Mr. Vol die in Red I Wall? don't remember. Because I don't. I mean, he couldn't have. Oh, wait, no, he was Vol. He wasn't. Yeah, bank he could. Vol. Yeah, because like he couldn't have died because Rolo is only like a year. Like he's like a baby baby. Little baby. Yeah. So unless. Who fucking yeah. knows anymore? Anyway. Not relevant. Anyway, so Maddie, Maddie manages to keep his temper this time, checking himself before snapping at her. Tess smooths the situation over masterfully and encourages Cynthia. Surely there was an army of Redwallers behind them. Ama gets excited, mentioning her father was no doubt after them too. Maddie shoots the idea down though. He knows the rain washed away their tracks and even Basil couldn't track through that. Also, he suspects Slagger would be smart enough to lay a false trail. Tess sniffs. Better some hope than none. They pause as one of the slavers walk by, then resume after he's passed. Sam agrees with Maddie. Better to do their best to escape rather than relying on hope. But they need to be careful. Slagger would be good on his word to kill anyone trying to run. And Vich appears, lashing at Sam's tail, telling him he speaks too much. Vich tries to whip him again, but Sam grabs the cane and snaps it, and promises Vich won't be safe if Sam gets loose. Maddie says that's only if he doesn't get out first. I just, I love every time Vich like, oh, I can go bully these uh, children. The children are like, bitch, you thought. <laughs> you can't bully us, yeah. you little shit. Vich's nerves fail, and he runs back down the line, shouting they won't be getting out where they're going. He runs right into Slagger, who cuffs him soundly. He orders a stop to the talking and ha to have the slaves chain. He wants to look at something interesting he saw a while back. I also back. did make a small note that I find Vich to be an interesting character because in the past two books, like, the rats all had fairly varied personalities. Like, I will say that he's good at giving the the vermin, like, their own ver variety of personalities. But Vich is, like, he's the most stereotypical rat that we've seen yet. He's mean. He's sneaky. He likes to swipe stuff. He like He's a bully. Like, he's literally, like, every negative embodiment of a rat. Whereas, like, Clooney was charismatic. Yeah. And, like, if he hadn't been, like, an absolute evil warlord, Clooney's charismatic. Charismatic. You still like him. Even when he's being evil, you like him. Vich, you're just like, yeah, when's he going to get his comeuppance? Like, you're just waiting for it. Like, every time he gets beat down, you're just like, <laughs> it's 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 cathartic. I feel, oh, you know what? That might be what Vich is for. He's cathartic because he allows the kids to, like, slap back at the slavers. Because he's their size. Yeah. Pulls. I realized that I forgot to pull Tim Ballisto down to record with me. <laughs> Poor TV. He's he's here. I've got I've got sorbet, sorbet, and strawberry. So <laughs> the multiple, multiple sorbets. sorbets. The sorbet sorbet bees. A sorbets. Oh god! <laughs> Fuck off. The captives all help each other bed down for a while. Dry grass, Cynthia finds some good dry moss, and Tim shares some fennel and green acorns he'd found while on the I march. Like, I feel like this is a little spot where Cynthia's character does start to turn. Like, she still has moments of, like, cowardice and whining, but now she's actively helping out. Like, from here on out, she actively does start being a helpful member of the group. 
And I like that it starts with a soft, yeah. subtle thing, like her being like, hey, I found this moss. Let's use it. This is, like, this book has actual... I like the character development in this book almost more than I liked it in Redwall because sometimes it feels not more natural, but it flows a little better with a few exceptions, which we will get into later. But overall, just for as much as I don't like the book as a whole, I feel the characters are fairly well written, even if they're mean to each other in a lot of situations. It's, it's hard yeah. to say that like book well written. I just don't like the <laughs> way it's written. <laughs> yeah while resting the kids are accosted by a frilled newt named Skrull the little amphibian claims to have keys which the kids could borrow for a price they all search themselves to see what they have dried flowers, a green pebble a carved beech nut, a champion tree climber bracelet, the white sash worn by Abbot Mortimer Cynthia warns them a guard is coming and terrified as she is, doesn't let out a peep to betray them Tells her to get some sleep and topples her over with a cane. He walks away, laughing at how soft the kids are. Skrull comes over to inspect the goodies and quite happily takes them. When Alma questions his honesty, he says he's a woodlander, like the mice. Tess says it's true. Woodlander rules are they all must help each other. It does not stop the newt from stealing from them, though. Mocking them that he didn't have a key. Amma nails the newt with a clod of dirt, and he grumps that he might have had a key, but now they'll never know. This part, I remember how angry this part made me. Like, I, I remember, again, like, being at the Y reading this while working out and getting mad because, like, it, it it's like, again, like, Brian keeps wanting to say, like, oh, well, a creature could be good. But time and time again, he contradicts himself by making these creatures, like, uh, every amphibian is evil. Every reptile is evil. They're too cold to understand mammalian ways. And it's, it's, he's literally kicking the kids while they're down. Yeah. And just, it, it makes me angry and frustrated. I know, again, these are kids' books and you need that clear, well, you don't need it, but a lot of authors choose to use that clear delineation because it's the easiest thing for kids to understand or young, young adults. They don't want to put nuance yeah. into the books. Bitch, children understand more than you think they do. We were the... <laughs> anyway. Then again, this was also like, he was writing these before we were getting stuff like Animorphs or... Um, I actually had a really good conversation with a, a friend last night about like why uh, Harry Potter got as popular as it did. Even though like now that we're older, we can arguably see the writing is not that good. Um, it's because... You want to know a book series? No, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, you okay. you finished. But no, like, finish. even though the book re the book the the writing is not that good, it's the fact that it was it was providing a genre to the our age group, and writing it in a way that we did not often get, and just like the tone of it towards the like, this specific niche group, which had not been exploited quite yet, is what really sent it off to how it was, and it's like that makes sense, you know. Because, like, yes, we we did have Animorphs by then, but Animorphs was science fiction. It was a serious science fiction. It wasn't an escapism like, you know, Potter was. You want to know a good series that is for kid, kids and is also um, uh, fantasy escapism? <laughs> The Inkheart trilogy. I tried reading it, and I think I was a little too old when it finally came out to really get it. Yeah, really? I tried reading it and did not get into it. It was the same, same thing with Percy Jackson. I missed Percy Jackson somehow. Oh, I love the Percy Jackson books. Like, this is just, we're only like four years it's, apart. It's enough, though. It no, is enough. Three yeah. years apart. Yeah. Because I have Inkheart, Inkspell, and Ink Death here. And these books, like the first one is a little, I will give you that. It is a little bit on mm -hmm. the kiddish side. It gets so much more I, serious. I think by the time that those books were coming out, I was starting to move on towards like bigger, like more adult books. And or I had like the brief fling with the young adult dystopian novels that were coming out at the time because one of my friends was super into them. Yeah. Again, like I think I brought up the yeah. Bubblies series or the Uglies series before. The um, I keep wanting to call them the Bubblies because I think that's what the first book was called was Bubblies. No, the first book uh, it was, was Uglies. Called Uglies. Okay. Bub. 
Bubblies is like something in it is. the series. I don't remember specifically, it's, but I know okay, what you're talking bu- about. Bubblies is when um, they turn 16 and they go and get plastic surgery, where also during that plastic surgery, they get like a chip put in their brain that makes them stupid. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> anyway. That tangent over. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Slagger returns in time to hear a little of the ruckus, and Tim manages to deflect, saying Alma was tossing in her sleep and woke them all up. Slagger says, fine, they're all marching anyway. They add a kidnapped young hedgehog to the line. He sends Vich and Browntooth to cover their tracks. He doesn't want the hedgehog family to follow them. Tess wipes away tears, and Maddie encourages her. They will get home one way or another, and it cheers her up. The hedgehog asks Alma where they're going, and do the slavers always yell like that? She says, yes, they do, and as to where, she doesn't know. We learn that the little one's name is Jube, short for Jubilation. Jube is quite confident his family will find him. Mom, Dad, and ten great big sisters. His confidence gives the others a little hope. And I'm sorry, but like him being named Jubilations, I made kind of a snarky comment of like Puritan hedgehogs. Because <laughs> you know how. It's a joke about how fathers always want to have a boy to carry on yeah. the family line. All right, so we have another cursed chapter header. It, the the otter's eyes. The eyes. Yeah, it's it's a drawing of cheek, and he is unfortunately. He's got looking. like people eyes. Yeah, the way the face is done is bad. Um. So cheek is always moving. He is hyperactive, dashing here and there, ahead and back. Basil scolds him for fouling the weasel's tracks, but Cheek says no need. Their weapons are just ahead. Matthias nearly runs straight into a swamp, only saved by Basil. The weapons are cleanly and brutally broken. Whatever did it scared the vermin so badly they ran straight into the swamp and drowned. They ponder what could have done it, but their pondering is interrupted by the sound of a fight. They order Cheek to stay put and head towards the sound. And then, cut back to the abbey. The abbot has trouble sleeping. By dawn, he gives up and wanders over to see the tapestry of Martin. He voices his worries and questions, what must they do? Where must Matthias go? Despite being safe here, their children are in deep danger. He still only thinks of himself as Alf, the tender of the pond. He finally begins to drift to sleep, and Martin seems to appear in front of him. Seek the founder in the stones where the little folk go. And he's been delivered the first part of this book's fucking riddle quest. Yeah. (laughs) Although I do find the riddle quest in this book to be more enjoyable. It's more engaging. Yeah. And it's not just that, but it's treated as more of a community thing. Like it is the community working on this together. Mm -hmm. So it makes it more engaging to me. Yeah. It's not just, hi, we're the three three smart people. We're here to figure it out. Constance finds Mordolphus and shakes him awake. He tells her of his insomnia and how he'd gone to speak to Martin. She says she does much the same, but Nar- Martin never speaks back. And that's when he remembers Martin's words. They decide to ponder the words over breakfast. John and Rollo ring the bells this morning, and Cornflower compliments his ability to teach. Mrs. Churchmouse worries about her children, and Cornflower tries her best to cheer her. Honestly, the way they support each other is very... It's very good. I have decided they're lesbians. (laughs) She could be bisexual. Come on. (laughs) Um, Their worry is interrupted by the abbot telling everyone the riddle. He asks the others to ponder it. It may help Matthias find the children. Now that the weather is clear, Warbeak and her warriors can go out and search, uh, in search of the wayward trio. The abbey rouses to life with many voices echoing the riddle. Seek the founder in the stones where the little folk go. So the children, it is. We cut back to the children. They find it easier going as they get out of the woodlands into hillier territory. Vich questions why Slagger is being more cautious. What's he looking for? More slaves? And where are they headed? He mocks another guard for not telling him, and Slagger overhears. Stepping on Vich's tail, Slagger leans down to ask him if he wants to know where they're going. When Vich says no, he says good. Only he knows, and if they play it right, 
they'll all end up rich or dead. Maddie wonders where they could be going, and Juby only says south. It's where the slavers always go, and his family always says there's evil in the south. Apparently, like, the only two directions that are not evil are east and west. Yeah, it's like you get evil from the south, you get war from the north. Like, alright, where, where, where are people supposed to go then? What? Uh, Just, who knows? Just grumble, yeah. grumble, grumble. I made a comment about how the global, like, our world, the global north has impoverished and demonized the global south. Yeah. And uh, has been doing this since before Brian was born, and those biases can show in these tropes. Yeah. So, eh, just a small comment. We've talked about that before. (laughs) Inherent racism of these black and white tropes. Yeah. Slagger sends his guards to stake out the slaves in a canyon near a stream. He plans to go and check to see if they're being followed. If he gives the signal, the slaves will be roused and march north as fast as possible. Sam and Alma begin yawning and complaining exaggeratedly of how tired they are. And if they're tired, then the guards must be too. The guards agree, and Sam and Alma almost get them to hand over their weapons, until Slagger barks in order for them to hurry up and get moving. And I'm just like, are they really that stupid? But then it's like, it's sleep deprivation. Bad rations. Probably mm -hmm. dehydration because they're probably bad about drinking water. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, yeah. You know. Back with Matthias, we see what's causing the commotion. There's 12 hedgehogs attacking a giant male badger. Hey, Uh, hey, hey, you need to read what I wrote. Do it. What? You need to read what I wrote. Where? I haven't gotten there yet. Well, then you're you're you've got it. I'm gotta... still like I literally just finished reading oh. the first part of the fucking part of this. I'm sorry. Please continue. Oh my god, Kit. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> now I'm not gonna read it. Just no, read it. I'll read it. Then. <laughs> He can keep them at bay with only the handle of his battle axe, but his patience is wearing thin. They claim he is the one who stole Juby, and he thinks they're all mad. The trio breaks up the fight, stepping between the beleaguered badger and the harrowing hedgehogs. Puts my head in my hands. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, gonna divorce me, fight me. (laughs) I, I am bullying squirrels, but it's only because I love them. God. Anyway, they all speak up at once, and Matthias strikes Orlando's axe with his sword, and the ringing noise drowns out the squabble once more. He tells Orlando to speak first. He explains who he is, and that he's following Slagger to get his daughter Alma back. The father hedgehog accepts this. Slagger is the one who stole Jubilation. Matthias asks who they are, and what is a Jubilation? <laughs> The untidy hedgehog is, uh, Jabez? Jabez? Jabez, I believe. Jabez Stump and his wife, wife, Rosie Queen, along with their ten daughters. Matthias explains who they are and that they're all looking for their children, too. They confess they've lost the trail, uh, and Orlando also agrees that he is hopelessly lost. Um, Kit made a... A little joke, like, they're not Puritans, they're rednecks, or whatever the British equivalent is. And I was like, they're northern. Yeah. <laughs> that's, me, that's me being mean, and I'm sorry. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, and then, like, I like Orlando, uh, and commented about how it is amazing how much of this book I forgot. <laughs> Orlando is very good. Like, I remember liking him a lot. He's a very good badger. Uh, the stumps have a quick conference and agree to travel south with them. First, though, they have to eat with them. Mm-hmm. The stumps live in a hollow fallen log, and the dinner is a scene of utter chaos as the ten sisters fight viciously over the food. I, uh, I get what Brian's going for here. Like, I know it's meant to be comedic, but the fact that it's like, oh, har, 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 it's girls who are fighting like this and being fierce and stuff like that. It's kind of like, I don't like it. Just something about the tone. It's just kind of like, I'm not super fond of jokes. Again, like, y'all know that I'm not a fan of, like, big eater jokes or things like that, especially when it's directed towards women. But it's like, oh, that's unwomanly and unsightly. 
Yeah. Although, like, the point, like, that apparently, like, they're so ravenous, they begin chewing the walls. Which hedgehogs, yeah. hedgehogs don't eat wood. Hedgehogs eat insects. Yeah, they're insectivores. Anyway, yeah, they start chewing on the walls of the logs until their mother chases them out. With a stick. Jabez is only... A ladle. Yeah, with a... <laughs> Jabez is only amused, commenting on how hard it is to keep such strong husky girls all fed. And how little jubilations could spi- outspike all of them. With that done, they get to marching. Jabez leaves the girls and his wife behind. And before they can even really get out of sight of the log, they realize they're being watched. And Jess catches Skrull. Threatening him with great bodily harm if he doesn't explain what's going on and why he has the children's treasures. He tries to flee, but is stopped sharply, saying how he'll tell them everything. I love it. Like, Martin, like, or Matthias. <laughs> Matthias <laughs> slams his sword down, like, less than an inch from his nose. Orlando slams the axe down to the point where it, like, it's a double-bladed axe. So, like, between the arch, he's got the tail, like, pinned between the arches of the axe. So he's like, yeah, if you move, you're going to lose your tail and the rest of your life. <laughs> Skrull is like, uh... Regret, regret, regret. Regret, regret, regret. <laughs> Back at the Abbey, Cornflower and Baby Rolo are searching the ramparts. Little Rolo is improvising songs again. Cornflower is amused, but still sends him off to see Ambrose Spike in the cellars. Winifred yes. arrives to tell Cornflower it is too hot to search. Time to have a picnic lunch. Let's send the child down to the alcoholic. Yeah. Cornflower and Winifred are joined by Formal, all admitting that they're flummoxed by the riddle. Where to start? The stones, the founders, or the little people. Rollo returns with some strawberry cordial and keeps trying to show them something in his paw. Now, something to note: one of the little songs he made up had to do with roll. Like I know what the little people are. Yeah. Like- and it turns out that it's an ant, and all three realize that's a part of the answer. Ants are the little people, as Methuselah and Mortimer used to call them. And Rollo says he found it in the drink cellar. They find the line of ants feasting on a drip of leaking, preserved damsons. And they follow the line of ants, only pausing to get a light. I remember when I was younger, I was so confused by, like, what a damson was until I remember, like, again, like, I had, like, a really weird mix of, like, fantasy series growing up. And the only reason I learned what a damson was because someone said, like, oh, a damson plum. And I'm like, oh, it's a fruit. Okay. But, like, sometimes for some reason my brain's like, oh, is damson a flower? It's like, no, you know it's a fruit. So, <laughs> you know it's a fruit, you doofus. You doof. Ah. Okay, I'm sorry. Please continue. Uh, sorry, that's okay. I need to drink some more water. I have a mild headache. Oh no, drink all water. I'm doing it. All right. So the line goes under a heavy old door, and they frighten the ants in opening it. Like they all scatter, and the ants are like, "Oh god, oh god, oh god!" I know. <laughs> so they have to wait for the line to resume. Uh, they follow them further in through a mostly abandoned storage room to a forgotten rough tunnel. After following it uphill a ways, they find the foundation stone for the abbey with an inscription on it. Can I read the inscription? I've got the book open. Your page numbers are different than mine. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, we have two different copies of the book, but yeah, yeah. you can read the inscription. Okay. Upon this stone rests all our hopes and efforts. Let Redwall Abbey stand forever as a home for the peaceful and a haven for woodlanders. In the spring of the late snowdrop, this stone was laid in its place by our champion, Martin the Warrior, and our founder, Abbess Germain. May our winters be short, the springtimes green, our summers long, and the autumns fruitful. It's very fucking good shit. It is! I'm like, I like that this book is kind of rectifying some of the errors of, like, Jermaine is finally getting the credit that she deserves. Yeah, she is she is correctly um uh credited. Credited with like the plans for the abbey. Um so they pause, soaking in the history of their abbey. Formal breaks the silence, saying he'll go get the digging teams, and Winifred wonders what they'll find behind the wall. Back in the canyon. The kids are told to lay down and get some sleep. 
The Redwall lot, along with Ama, curl up together. They think of home and wish for some food. And we learn Orlando is a pretty good cook, cooking for Ama since she didn't have a mother. But Orlando doesn't like Ama to tell people that because <laughs> he's afraid that people will think he's going soft. Yeah, and it's like, sir, don't let your toxic masculinity get in the way. <laughs> Listen, being able to both cook and fight, do both. Yes. Everyone should know how to do both. Yes, exactly. Yep. Tess tells Maddie some good news. Uh, when Wedgeback, the weasel set to watch them, fell earlier, he lost his little dagger. And Tess used it to pick her lock pretty easily, because it's just a spring lock, and sets about passing it to the others. Matameo picks his own lock, and then he passes it to Tim. They decide the best way to escape is right into the river once the slavers are asleep. Find an overhang and keep tight under it until the fuss dies down, then head up river a ways southward to throw off Slagger. And once they felt they were clear, turn back towards Redwall. This is a clever plan. It's very good. This would have worked had other shit not happened. Yeah. Um, in the woodlands, Skrull thinks up a lie and thinks it up quick. He says he wanted to help the kids, but couldn't. And that they'd given him the trinkets and thanks for throwing food to them. Uh, and that they, they told him to tell the others to follow them. Orlando threatens that he'd better be telling the truth, or he'd seen his last sunset. Which way did they go? Skrull points south, and Jabez says he's telling the truth. They take back their children's belongings, uh, and they tell Skrull, like, you can have these back when we see you again if you're telling the truth. And Skrull's just, like, as soon as they're gone, Skrull flees towards the north. He's like, I don't want to see these people ever again. Nope. Fuck this. Yeah, I'm out of here. Fuck this. Because he knows his, his, uh... He did not tell the truth, and if they catch him yeah. again, he's going to have a bad time. Yeah. Uh, Basil finds uh, the track, and by evening, they've spotted the twin hills the captives are held at. Cheek has taken to copying Basil, and earns a cuff from Orlando to remind him of his manners. Of course, Slagger has already spotted them, and he mm -hmm. has a plan. Lead the captives into the cave, then lead them out, only covering the tracks going out. Slagger will then wait above the cave with a few minions and gather boulders and soil to pile high above the cave. Back at the abbey, late that same evening, Constance and Rolla watch the mole crew remove the founding stone. Kit mixed up the founding stone with a load-bearing stone or a cornerstone. I was so, I was like, no, why are you taking, why are you taking this out? Because like, again, like if you take a cornerstone or a, or a load bearing stone out, bad things happen. There's a reason yes. they are placed in the spot they're in. So they're just like, we're going to haul this big, important stone out. And I'm going, ah, <laughs> until years later, I'm like, oh, wait, right. Okay. This is a, just a, it's, a founding it's, stone is just a stone. Yeah. It's just a stone. It's not like one of yeah. the cornerstones. Yeah. It's usually it's like the first stone lay. Yeah, it's like essentially it's like a fancy plaque, but still part of me was yeah. just like, ah, <laughs> screaming in yeah. the background. So once the stone is out, the crew stops to rest and Cornflower leads her friends through the hole behind where the stone had been. They find that there are uh, dry torches on the walls and they illuminate all of them uh, so they can illuminate the chamber they found. They see a huge anthill and I fear that. Holy shit. <laughs> terrifying you can definitely tell you're from the south i hate anthills <laughs> and a statue it's abbas germain again now properly credited as the designer of redwall by cornflower it's her grave and there's an inscription for it would you like to read this one as well i shall i'm like i i will confess to everyone like i got very lazy because it was late and i was tired most of the time when writing these so instead of Instead of, like, writing down everything, I just wrote down the page number so I could flick right to it and not have to write down a whole entire... Anyway, uh, page 134. It's a very short one this time, though, but it says, Germain, first abbess of Redwall, I came from home to find a home. The seasons were good to me. Here I will rest with the little folk. And they all, like, talk about how, like, she looks like she was a nice person. Because of the way that she's been carved and like formals, like this is a very like beautiful carving. Mm -hmm. Whoever, Whoever carved did it this clearly... was super skilled. Yeah, and clearly loved the subject they were work. Like, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, the statue of Jermaine is holding a book, and on that book, there's a little ant. Rolo, of course, pulls the little ant off. Because yeah. he, he was up uh, there sitting on her lap, and so Winifred's like, hey, get down from there. And and he takes the, the ant off, uh, and they realize that it's meant to come off. It's got a little copper pin that was keeping it into a hole. Uh and then something starts to slide out of the hole and Gaffer, one of the moles, spots this and just manages to like catch it by diving and having it land on his back. Gaffer the MVP. Yeah. Cornflower retrieves it and it's amazed to see that it is covered in writing. I want to know who made the statue. I want to know why Martin just knew shit. Arthurian who bullshit. Did... This is some fucking like... The fucking carvings on the walls of Salamandistron. Who did this? Like, you say there's not magic in this world. I just point to stuff like this. Yeah. Like, fucking whomst. What? Why? What the fuck? And sometimes, why? God. Anyway, once Alma says all the slavers are asleep, like we're back with the kids again, the group slowly carefully slips into the river maddie sam cynthia who nearly awakens the the vermin in her haste to get into the water because she caused a splash yeah and i don't blame her because she doesn't want to get left behind so she's just like ah gotta go fast yeah she's she's panicking a little bit uh tim and jube and finally tess and ama the other captives are left behind the spirit having been beaten out of them it wasn't worth trying to get them to escape with them because they make the just the justifications like they wouldn't leave even if we asked and i i was slightly snarky in writing that this is also brian just not wanting to have to name a bunch of other characters or yeah. write them and you know what that is that is very fair this is good, still good writing. He is justifying, he has reasonably justified why they would not bring the other captives. Yeah. Um, so they make their way upriver, finding a perfect overhang to hide under. It's like a, a rock and there's foliage providing like a natural curtain hanging down and then like the arrow reeds coming up to to from the water and they're able to just hide. Mm-hmm. And then Scringe discovers the escape when he returns a little bit later. He calls an alarm and the other vermin scramble and bang into one another, quarreling over who will take the blame for the Redwall lot slipping away. Because they're all just like, oh god, Slagger will kill us if we don't find these kids. Because these are like the whole reason we're here. Yeah. Scringe takes over and sends out gr- and sends groups uh, up and downstream as well as along the canyon around them. The kids hear it and they think to use hollow reeds to hide underwater and breathe through. Like, they, they call back to uh, when they did it to hide from Constance in the Abbey Pond. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like this because, like, this is a good callback to how the kids' lives playing as, like, living in the Abbey has given them certain things that allows them to do this. Like, mm-hmm. It's just being able to point out the fact that this is something the kids did for play and it's now saving their life. I really like that. It's a really good bit of writing. And there's something kind of uplifting about it. That play play, and just being a kid is what gave them the idea and the capacity to survive this moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Vich and Brown Tooth head upstream and Vich is sent towards where the kids are hiding by the bigger Brown Tooth. Maddie can see him coming and also sees that he's about to step on Ama, who has no idea that he's right there. So, taking a gamble, he stabs Vich's paw with the little dagger, and Vich, like, freaks out, because he thinks that a pike just bit him. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh god, oh no, ah, ah, ah. This is another thing I pointed out, like, we we actually had, like, a very big debate in the um, Redwall server a while back about the, the, the scale of the animals to the world. And I pointed out, if these animals were human-sized, a pike wouldn't be a threat. I mean, it'd hurt to get bit by one, yeah. but yeah. But, like, they treat these things like, this is a predator who will be able to eat me, not, ouch, I just don't want to get bit. Yeah. Uh, Brown Tooth suggests it might have been a poisonous eel and leans <laughs> over to look. Um, deprived of air, Ama lunges to the surface, roaring mightily and thankfully the rats don't know a lot about fish they think it's just the pike like jumping at them 
or something like a big monster from the blue sea. Mm-hmm. So they like fucking, they're just like, oh God, nope, we are done. Nope, they're not in there. They would not be there because there's a pike. And and I, th- I really think this is just brown tooth like fucking with uh, Vich. Just like, oh, it could be a poisonous eel. You might not want to suck on that. And just like. Because Vich is like sucking on his paw. Uh-huh. It's like, this is what, I feel like this is 100% him just like messing with Vich because nobody likes Vich. Nobody yeah. likes him, so. Because he sucks. Because he sucks. Okay. ADHD brain is like, you need to go click into something else for a second. <laughs> That's okay. I, I mean, like, I've got my tablet up and I've been working on a drawing. Like, I feel bad sometimes when I re-listen back. Cause sometimes I can hear like the gentle scratch, scratch, scratch of like drawing oh, on my please, tablet. It's fine. There you go, guys. Some tablet ASMR for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, resigned to their fate, the slavers decide to follow the rest of Slagger's orders, marching into the cave and then out, covering the tracks. The following... The following adults arrive well after the slaves have been marched on, but they all feel something is off. It may be a trap. There's no hesitating, though. They have a chance to find their children, so they push on. Above the cave, Slagger and some minions wait. The adults spot the cave and all agree that it is the likeliest place for the slavers to camp. They fall for the trap quite nicely, charging in with weapons drawn. I make a comment that Orlando knows the war cry of Salamandistron. Yeah. Despite being from the plains. Well, maybe uh, he made like a pilgrimage there. Uh, who knows? Uh, the kids hear their parents, but are too late. Slagger drops the landslide, trapping their parents and friends inside. And that is the end of that chapter. And we go back to Redwall. Yeah, it's a very good cliffhanger, though. Like, they, is. this is a very well-written chapter. And just the, the, the way he portrays the events, all three events happening at the same time. Yeah, it's real good. Okay. So, back at Redwall, they all enjoy a late dinner. Uh, the mushroom stew. And Kit is apparently just craving savory stews. Yes, it is winter, it is cold, and it is the time for stew. And I want a stew. good stew. Stew. Yeah. Stew it. They, te- uh, <laughs> they tell of the discovery of the tomb, and Mordalfus expresses wonder and a little regret that the founding stone is back in place, locking away her tomb again. He wanted to see it. Yeah. Winifred is stumped by the tablet. It's covered in a bunch of funny scratches, to which the abbot delightedly declares that it's loam script. And I'm over here like, thank you, Brian. Like, finally, he's acknowledged, like, a linguistic shift or, like, that there are different types of writing other than, like, Redwall and B. (laughs) B. Bees. The bees? He picked the bees! Um... Constance is puzzled, asking what that is, and Mordolphus gently scolds or teases her about not remembering her history lessons, which is fair, considering her age and how she was taught by Methuselah. And I put a little note that Constance is being a good audience stand-in here, um, because we, like, what if he didn't read the first book, like I didn't? Uh, uh, Constance asking this allows him to fill in, like, what happened in the previous story. My one complaint is, is that wouldn't a younger Redwaller make more sense? But again, like her being as old as she is, it also justifies her not remembering. Yeah. Because she's had a lot to deal with the past uh, however many seasons. You know, it would make sense she would not remember Loam's script.
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye!